Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Out of the Question podcast. And I brought a friend and someone we've interviewed before to get behind the question, is there a righteous way to die? Now, before we get into our discussion, let me clarify that what I mean by righteous or righteousness is just correct according to what the word of God says. Now, we know that the Bible is full of righteous ways to live, things we should and should not do. But the Bible also says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. So the question that Dr. Rhett Bergeron, a physician in Atlanta, is going to discuss with me today is based on his experience as a physician and his life as a Christian. Is there a righteous way to die? So thanks for joining me, Dr. Rhett. Okay. Well, that is a a wonderful question and an important question. And, you know, a, a, about six years ago, I had a colleague who was nearing the end of his life and uh, he had, he had uh, fought in, uh, in the Korean War and thought to have had some a chronic lung disease due to exposure to Agent Orange. And I would check in with him every three or four, five or six months. And the last time I spoke with him, he said to me, I asked him, how are you doing? He said, well, I am trying to figure out how to die properly. So it was exactly to your question in a sense. And so uh, I was just so encouraged to hear a fellow believer really grappling with that question. And so um, in, in response to the question today, I think that first to remind our, our friends and, and all that are believers, we certainly want to die in faith, uh, knowing who God as our creator and redeemer is, remembering that in faith, we also want to, in a sense, die with a good conscience, that there's no known sin uh, that, that we are harboring or uh, that we have committed against others. <clears throat> Uh, and then I think we want to die in a sense in having a good relation to all those around us. And if there's, if there's someone that we should address in our relationship that's not going well uh, for whatever reason, I, I, then there's probably no reason why we shouldn't contact them and, and, and have an open discussion about whatever that, that item might be. So I think those are my first simple thoughts in response to that question. Those are the basics of dying in a righteous way or in the correct way before God. Okay. So let me expand it a little bit. We have just experienced and are experienced this fear of death that's being shoved down everybody's throat as to why they need to isolate, why they need to mask, or why they need to get a shot. And it sort of shows a weakness societally that people are afraid to die. 
in your experience, and you've no doubt dealt with patients who were believers, like you expressed with that one colleague or friend of yours, and those who are not, does the fear of death oftentimes have people pursue extraordinary means which aren't necessarily going to help them, but they feel like if they don't do this, they're giving up? Yes, that's a great question, and, and it does occur. The classic example is in regard to cancer treatment. Um, so many people will, will have a, a very advanced cancer situation, and, and they will nearly spend every penny they had in, in what they don't have, and, and sometimes leave their family in a, 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 an unhealthy financial situation when the treatment wasn't going to accomplish much of anything at all. So that's a classic example. And I think that when you're facing death, it's the, the question is not just what do I need or want, but what is the best, the wisest and a, and the, and a godly viewpoint of death in my, in my entire family situation. So taking in consideration uh, the needs of others, it's one thing to, to, and, and the, for the example of cancer, it's one thing to treat, let's say someone's at the end stage of their life and they, they literally may have a couple months and you can do supporting functional, nutritional, uh, and maybe alternative therapies to, to really enjoy that life and have a good quality of life. But it's one thing to, to try to be supported for three months versus to try to spend every bit of money and energy to try to prolong, prolong your life for a year when you, when you won't have very much quality of life. I, I do think that, and in, in even no matter what the treatment is, I think that every person or family needs some type of trusted healthcare advisor to give them a, a, an accurate uh, opinion of what a treatment will, will accomplish, uh, its effectiveness, its side effects, even its cost-benefit, uh, you might say, and, uh, and, and to judge carefully, I, I don't think that, that living a little longer at, at, at any price is always the correct thing to do at all. So I think uh, we need to be very careful uh, about having too much confidence uh, in certain treatments um, or having an undue desire to live longer that may be just very self-centered. Now, you bring up cancer, and I've known a number of cancer patients who went the route that they were going to go through the chemotherapy, but the last year of their life involved not being able to see anyone because they had to be concerned about their immune system, and it wore out their caregiver because he, who was about the same age as the woman, I believe, in his 70s, was basically having to do almost everything. So there seems to be a pendulum swing from, you can beat this, we're going to beat this, which sort of says that we're going to override God's decision and modern medicine can beat anything, to the other extreme that says, and I've heard people say, I don't want to be a burden on people. It would be just as easy if I wasn't here anymore. Speak to the biblical middle ground between those two perspectives. Well, I think the biblical middle ground is described by a few words. One is balance. Two, it's discernment. Three, it's biblical godly counsel. 
on a number of different levels, not just medical, but family input and financial you know, considerations or even the, the advice of a financial counselor uh, about what is in the best interest of the surviving spouse or the extended family. Uh, I think all those things need to take place. And I think we need to remember the, the scripture that you referenced in Ecclesiastes, you know, there's a time for all things. And uh, I think that the, the day of our death is a glorious day. I don't think we think often enough about it. Uh, we don't think in a, in a deeper, mature sense about how glorious that day is and what it means. So I think having that perspective uh, in front of us is important to help to help us because when we do see death and that and that is a glorious day that that we're going to be we're, we're done with fighting the battle in this life and against sin and we're going to be with the Lord in one sense that should make the, the decision much easier uh, about fighting against death or or fighting too strongly uh, for certain health sustaining measures. So there are plenty of procedures that will be recommended by a wide spectrum of physicians. How important is it for people to research and understand these things before they need to make a decision in terms of the benefits of chemotherapy or the benefits of a particular surgery? Uh, already acknowledging that the patient is weak, the patient's got, for example, heart problems or a tumor or something like that. Because oftentimes we'll hear the procedure was a success, but the patient died. So it's a little hard for me to think that the procedure was a success and yet the patient died. Well, I think going back to the encouragement of scripture, I think it's imperative that, that all of us have trusted healthcare providers or advisors that understand both sides or many sides of, 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 of health and illness and, and, and various treatment options. I think that to a, a, a practitioner or a medical doctor that only understands one route, I'm not sure that you can always trust their uh, recommendation, uh, and, I, and I don't think you can understand their motives. And I, I do think that uh, you, you need to have a balanced and a, and a comprehensive view of a of certain disease process and, and of different ways to treat it. And of course, I think if, if you can, ideally, your healthcare advisor or practitioner should be a believer that you can trust, that knows that he or she stands before God as they view things, as they make recommendations. And I think uh, that's imperative that that's the type of advice that we seek. It's just going to be safer, wiser. Uh, it's going to be more successful for everyone in the future. And it's funny, people would probably be more concerned with a contractor or a mechanic uh, in terms of, I want to know this person's background. Does this person see eye to eye? I think oftentimes there's this mystique about doctors that says, well, the white coat means he knows what he's doing and he knows more about me than me. And in addition, the mystique is not just the, the healthcare doctor, it's about the healthcare system and the treatments. But I think too often 
we overly trust, we are not discerning, and we're, we're ignorant of, of outcome data that's really readily available. I think that over the last 50 years, the American population has come to understand that we're not really winning the war on cancer. It's one thing in early stages of cancer, we can, we can get pretty good outcomes. But after a cancer is in the later stages, of, for example, stage three or four, or after a cancer has recurred, we're not winning the war. And I think people know that. I also think that we've all known so many people in our families or our, our friend groups that have had cancer recurrence, went through the whole treatment, and it really didn't work out very well. And they had a, a not so good of quality of life. I think we know that. And with that in mind, I mean, most of the, the long-term uh, data about chemotherapy is, is, you know, five to 10% at best is its effectiveness for more advanced stages of cancer. And knowing that we either uh, must complement chemotherapy with nutritional and uh, metabolic functional medicine therapies so a person can enjoy their life and not be so brought down by chemotherapy or radiation or some some persons who have enough uh, understanding of, of the outcomes of different treatments will see that they'll live possibly just as long and even better if they use a functional nutritional approach to support their body so i think all, all of those uh, those uh, dynamics are important to think about uh, as you're facing death and these types of serious diseases. I think a lot of times people will go through all those procedures and then say, after years of chemotherapy or radiation, which I know runs havoc on a person's body, they'll say they succumbed to cancer. When in actual fact, you have to wonder if they really succumbed to the treatment and uh, leave it seems to leave a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouth. We went through all this and we failed, yet it's never looked at that we could have gone a different route. Well, and I think, I think that the, the person succumbed both to the, the disease of cancer and the treatment. You know, toxic treatments such as chemotherapy and radiation, it's not that they have no place, but if they're not used carefully and wisely, they certainly weaken every single patient who receives them. And then if you don't try to protect your metabolism and your immune system and even detoxify during conventional cancer therapy, you're going to succumb to three things, the disease, the conventional treatment, and the lack of what I would call appropriate, supportive, metabolic, or even naturopathic care. So I think it's multifactorial. That's a good point. And I think that uh, it's easy sometimes to go after boogeymen <laughs> because you've read enough or whatever it is. So I like the idea of a balanced approach. So let's talk a little bit about suffering in the face of a terminal illness. There are those who, and I've heard them say, I don't want to be a burden to my family. I am going to give instructions to someone outside my family that if I'm sick, I'm unconscious that I want them to pull the plug. And it seems to me that we miss the point that in the Christian life, God has a use for suffering. Obviously, Jesus Christ suffered a very painful death on the cross. He suffered a humiliation. So 
it can't be that suffering is bad. And yet we have this mindset that says, I don't want people to suffer. I don't want to be a burden. And for the Christian, we need to remember that we're to bear one another's burdens. We're not to eliminate each other's burdens. We're to help them bear it. So speak a little bit, if you would, from your experience as a doctor, the best way to be a terminal patient as a way in which to help those who are caring for you. Well, I, would, I, would, I can do that. And I'd like to start by reminding us of Paul's great encouragement and teaching in Corinthians when he, when he taught so clearly that, that God's grace is absolutely sufficient for us when we're weak. And just to tie that to grace and all of the scriptures, but particularly in Romans, when, when Paul describes God's grace as a reigning grace. And so uh, that's first. We have to remember, we have to draw close to the Lord in any suffering and seek his face or seek his presence and find the grace of God to sustain us, to sustain our souls and give us strength. And then there's a certain sense where we're, when we are spiritually strengthened, that no matter what we're facing, we can do so as we sense or feel God's presence. But to your point about bearing one of the, another's burdens, so there's certainly going to be a burden and, and there's a type of suffering uh, toward the end of life. And the way we as fellow believers can uh, bear burdens, uh, one is, of course, just uh, our our family and our friends and our and some of our church members there are simple things that we can do to minister to a family uh, who's going through the end of life and it can be just very simple things to support them and reach out and and uh, give them a cup of water if you will but there are other tangible things that we can do uh, but then even as healthcare practitioners we can help bear the burdens of others there's various ways to help uh, a, pa- a dying patient be comfortable without, you know, moving into some form of euthanasia. So I do think those two principles, uh, there's practical ways that we can show love and bear their burden. And of course, we can draw near to the Lord and find an absolutely sufficient and powerful grace in our souls. So Is the idea of hospice a biblical concept in terms of helping someone to have a comfortable or as comfortable as possible journey till their last breath? Well, it it depends on how you define the word hospice. I define it as caring for someone holistically in in the end of their life. So mind, body, and spirit. And so with that in mind, I would say that hospice is completely biblical, um, done, done morally, and with, with the intention to, to help them not suffer. I mean, God's plan is not so much for us to suffer, to have the greatest suffering at all times. We wouldn't have the wisdom and the tools of science and medicine to help us, in, you know, to help relieve pain. I think those are blessings from God, but they have to be used carefully, morally, and wisely. Now, I do think that the current worldwide, but even more so the, U, the U.S.-based hospice system, I think that people have to be very careful because that system is essentially 
divorced from moral and biblical Christian principles. And they're, they're one of the things that they do uh, the most is to, is to forward as many pain-relieving medications to a patient to basically numb them and, in a certain sense, hasten their death. I see. So that goes back to the idea that uh, if your advisors, if your counselors are not Christian, are not biblical in their viewpoint, you can't really rely on their advice the same way you could. And and not only do we need to have Christian faith and Christian principles, but you could have a Christian in 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 a hospice organization, but if they're not discerning, if they can't see certain uh policies and and uh and procedures that are being done in hospice they can't see the evil of it then you can't always trust someone just because they profess to be a believer they have to have discernment also right what would be your recommendation for people to become better versed on the mindset that you're talking about um are there books are there articles what would you suggest you know, unfortunately, I haven't I haven't had the time to, to research or find uh, many books or material on that. The one one uh, resource that I can absolutely refer you to, uh, for example, is the is the uh, uh, Personhood Alliance nationally, and 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 I'm in the state of Georgia, so Georgia Right to Life is a, is a resource uh, that can be helpful because they. You know, for so long they were fighting, and they still are fighting the uh, pro-life uh, battle. But what they're finding recently is that there's a, even a growing and disturbing trend about uh, the uh, unethical uh, practices that are going on at end of life. And so, I think you'll find the Personhood Alliance, and for example, some of the state chapters for uh, Right to Life, they can be a great uh, resource for that kind of information. Okay, so I alluded to before how to be a patient at the end of life in terms of being aware of the people around you. And obviously, the two great commandments involve loving God completely and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So speak a little bit about, um, yes, when people are in pain, when people are scared about where they're heading, it's very easy for their tempers to be short, for them to be very demanding what would be your advice to both the patient and the caregiver in terms of how to stand before God righteously, either as you're approaching your own death or alongside someone who is? Well, I think as, as uh, foundational, and, and, and I think our audience would, would completely agree, the, the foundation to this is, of course, the word of God. And Jude gives us the encouragement that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God and we are to build up our most holy faith. And we need to be actively doing that as we're, you know, in the end of life and approaching our last day. And and we need to be uh, greatly uh, feeding our soul with God's word even with, with considering uh, uh, sermons. And I think we need to be singing praises of, you know, from the heart. Those are the kinds of things that will help us. And then, of course, remember 
the repeated encouragement of scriptures is to be filled with the spirit. And I think those simple Christian practices are the, are the things we need to do as we approach the, the, our dying day. And we need to remember that even though we're suffering or we're approaching the end of life, doesn't change God's will for us as a dying person. We're still to love our, our neighbor. We're still to love our spouse and our family to our very last breath. And so we need to remember the mission doesn't change just because you have a terminal diagnosis or you've got, you know, one week to live. I think we still need to uh, remember Peter's admonition that the life is about uh, a a joy unspeakable and a full full of glory. We need to rejoice. So it sounds like if you're following scripture, if you're following God's law word, you're going to approach death much the same way you approach life. And then there's the philosophical question. You know, you can have the tubes, the machines and everything else, but we don't really ever prolong life. We never cheat death in the sense that if God, just the same way there was a day we're going to be born, there's a day where God has ordained that we breathe our last breath. So in a sense, it's not really a good question to ask, should we try to prolong life? Because we really don't override God's decision. But it sounds like you're saying to have a mind and heart set that really submits to whatever God's plan is with reason, not that you say, okay, there's nothing I can do about this, but within the reasoned balance of anticipating outcomes. Yeah. And you know, that's a, that situation of the the medical life-saving equipment that we, that we currently possess, sometimes it's difficult because we've all heard of a, of a certain type of situation where someone has a severe head injury. And you would think naturally, there's, it, it seems impossible that this person can survive. And then there are situations where they're put on life-saving equipment and literally within you know, one or two weeks, they come out of a coma and they're completely normal, you know, and that's, that tends to be the exception. So it makes it difficult for family and pastors to counsel in the situation. But I think that we, we need to, and, and often we we're, the only thing we think of in that moment is, oh, we've got to save their life. We've got to keep them here. But I think we often don't, we tend to forget that as a believer, they are eternally secure. And, and so sometimes I think our decisions sometimes might be uh, selfishly driven. And so we just need to be careful. And we talked earlier about the word balance. I think that we need to have, we need to be ready for death and ready for these, these difficult decisions or situations by having a, a team of advisors, whether it's financial, pastoral, medical, legal, where they, that you've got that, that team of, of advisors uh, already put together so that uh, you, can, you can get counsel quickly. And I think, again, having a collection of advisors and finding balance is, is going to bring the greatest uh, sort of sense of safety and success. Which the scripture supports within a multitude of counselors, there's victory. 
Okay. So thanks for spending time with me. I know you're busy. One last question. So somebody's listening to you and says, I'd love to find someone who's got this perspective, or I'd love to train to be someone. And a lot of people are hesitant of going into medical schools because of the prevailing, um, very scientific, and I don't mean that in a good sense, approach that they divorce people from the essence of them as spiritual beings and responsible to God. So any suggestions about where people can find practitioners such as yourself or learn to become such practitioners? I do have some suggestions. There are a number of professional health medical organizations across the country that provide training and have professional memberships and, and their resources to find practitioners. I think I would like to suggest to Andrea that I send you uh, a list of those types of organizations. And that would be a general guide for people. I obviously can't vouch for every organization and every member uh, or practitioner on the list, but that's where I would feel comfortable in relaying that information. And I think it might be, it might be uh, wise to say, if I, if I send that to you, then any of the listening audience might have just obtained that through Calcedon. Yeah. And I'll share it. One last thing. I know that you have a conference coming up in February. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Thank you. Well, um, it's a, it's our first conference was this past February in 2021. It was called faith in medicine in Atlanta. The conference was, uh, well-received and very encouraging and, um, my clinic, Real Health Medical, in conjunction with George Right to Life, Christian Medical Dental Association, and Healing Strong, are working together to organize this next conference in 2022. Uh, the theme is Redeeming Love. And what we want to do is explore how a deep and thorough and theological and even experiential knowledge of God's redeeming love, how that should work out in healthcare, both for providers and in healthcare, both for those as, as clients or patients. And so how should we think about healthcare? How should it be transformed and how the power of the gospel and how all of the wisdom of God's word should be applied to healthcare? And so in a sense, we would like to see health care transformed, both in how it's practiced or delivered, and then how and how it's approached from an individual basis. So is there a website? Is there a way that people can keep up to date as to how to register, things like that? Well, we are just about to make that announcement very soon. It, and, and, there, and with that, in conjunction with that, a website will be up and running within the next two weeks but it is on February 4th and 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can also attend it virtual or by, uh, it'll be live streamed. And so we will have those details very, very soon. And I apologize for not having it ready. No, that's fine. And the name of the conference again is? Faith in Medicine. Faith in Medicine. One last thing before we go, you and I both have discussed at length Dr. Rush Dooney's medical reports that were put together in his book, faith and wellness. And you are 
a good example of what he spoke about in terms of reconstruction. He never thought he was the final word on every single aspect of thought and life. And I think the work that you're doing and your colleagues are a great example and encouragement to continue the work of reconstructing every area, in your case, healthcare on biblical grounds. And I hope other people who listen to this will be encouraged in their own fields, business, law, education, to realize that the victory is ours and we've got the tools and the equipment to go ahead and proceed. We just now have to do it. I agree. Thank you. Well said. And, and we can't do it alone. We have to be organized, uh, wise, discerning, but I agree. We have the tools. All right. Well, thanks again, doctor. Listeners, if you want that resource that he mentioned, you can contact me at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to out of the question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.